Hey, this is Andy Brown. Um, I'm kind of without Greg this time around. He's going to skip out on this one. By the way, uh, Eugene Greg is the guy I host this uh, show with, but he wussed out on this I, one. So. I, I assumed he was your life partner. <laughs> Sadly, pretty close to that. <laughs> so, um, Eugene, I met last month, and I'm going to I'm going to tell that story uh, in uh, the Bay Area. And uh, he's the author of the, this book, Fight, which, um, let, me, let me read the, sub, the subtitle to Fight. Everything you ever wanted to know about ass-kicking but were afraid you'd get your ass kicked for asking. It's almost kind of a tongue twister. And uh, it's, it's a coffee table book. Would you, would you say that's fair, Eugene? Yeah, it was designed that way, but I really like Steve Albini from uh, Shellac and uh, Big Black fame uh, sort of was interviewed about it and reviewed it, and he goes, you know, he said they made a mistake in designing it like a coffee table book because it's a piece of great literature. Yeah. Which majorly influenced by Steve Albini. It was, uh, it was, these were words of praise that actually brought, brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. So, yeah, Steve uh, Albini. Wow, there's a name I didn't think would come up. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen him. Well, we'll get into that whole thing. We're going to get into some of the band stuff, too. Um, but what would you, you'd say it, it's almost like a kind of a meditation on fighting of all different types, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I consider it. I consider it to be kind of, uh, you know, a meditation on the interpersonal nature of, you know, violent, uh, you know, human endeavor. I mean, I don't, it's like a monograph on, you know, the philosophical underpinnings of why and how we fight. And I, I had to make a lot of decisions going into it. Some of those decisions had to do with, well, you know, uh, do I want to, like, uh, I did put a section in on knife fighting. But do I want to put in like more soldiery pursuits? And I, I did put in some like CIA guys, you know, special ops guys. But these were all individual actors, and and that's my, what I'm concerned with. It was primarily the individual. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, I've never been so concerned, so interested about the team dynamics. You know, I mean, uh, that that's never been compelling to me. So I did have like a couple of sections on. Uh, great fight blunders and they were all like military engagements and ultimately that was i didn't yank much from the book but that was one of the things i yanked you know right 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 um i mean because that that, that, that's a whole different thing you know why an individual you know uh you know turns a hand into a fist it's completely different than, than why some guy signs up and you know, runs across a field with another guy and gets shot in the head and crippled. You know? Right, right. Very and there's so, there's so many books many about books. Uh, special ops and stuff like that. I don't think it really needs to be done again, you know. No, and more importantly, I mean, I the fight club the, the fight club that I talk about that I used to kick off the book that I was actually a part of in San Francisco, I had there, there was a special ops guy there who came uh, to fight in the fight club. And, uh, and came and he was, you know, most of the book I talk about me being beaten and you witnessed, you know, part of what I do, <laughs> getting beaten. but I beat this special ops guy and he was a very cool guy, but didn't say anything. He, he didn't do what other special ops guys I've talked to have done and said, well, this is just sport. Right. You know, if we were fighting to, to, to kill, I would have already yanked your eye out and I would have done it. And I, yeah, if, if, right, right, right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that aspect of it. Cause, um, uh, but one thing I should say about the book is it's also damn funny. Ah, yeah, good for you. <laughs> that, means, that means you've got a sense of humor. You know, Sal, one of the guys who was there, a girlfriend of his at the time was like reading the book. She goes, or he was reading the book around her, and then he, she took it from him and goes, I don't know what you're laughing at. This is not funny. <laughs> I go, because you have no sense of humor. That's why it's funny to you, you know. So, yeah, it, it's comical. I mean, there have been times when, you know, I don't, I don't know if I talk about it in the book, but, you know, having a, a staring duel on the sidewalk with a guy out in uh, a, somewhere on Flushing Meadow, and then the guy's turning, and the further we get, we keep, he's, like, screaming, and we're with, and I just couldn't keep it going. It was just hysterical, you know, hysterical, that we were screaming at each other on the sidewalk because we looked at each other. Oh, That's my what, God. That's why we're screaming, you know. Yeah. So, uh, very amusing. So, so let's talk a little bit about Oxbow. I'm not as familiar with that, unfortunately, um, but I, I will become a little bit more familiar with it. But, but it all it kind of ties into the fight thing, right? It's this is the band that you front. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I sing for this band called Oxbow, as I have for the last twenty years. But, uh, but no, this is something that happened recently. I mean, it, it, it has, it, you know, 
I mean, the timeline was, you know, Oxbow was just kind of a normal band. And then, I don't know, in 1996, this friend of ours came to a show. He had seen us play before as the old band. I mean, we used to be in a punk rock band called Whipping Boy. And, uh, or yeah, three of, three of us who were in Oxbow had been a Whipping Boy. And he stood at the front of the stage and proceeded to scream out the names of Whipping Boy tunes and saying Whipping Boy, and he was drinking. And, you know, he was a friend, and I was trying to, you know, doing that horrible kind of theater exercise of making believe he wasn't there. We, you can't do, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I decided I would never again, ever, perform a show that didn't have me being exactly in the moment, you know. Right. And uh, it, it wasn't, it was several years before even we had to put that into, into gear. We had been overseas, and we had a big falling out with our label at the time, so we didn't go back, and we finally went back. You know, and these scenes, they, they, they molt, they change after about five years or four years, you know, the time it get, takes to get out of college. So nobody there knew us. And they were, the, the promoter was like, nobody knows, knows you, you know, you go, everybody was treating us like garbage. And we get there and, and in the UK, there's this obsession with wanting to know, like, this is all just a laugh, right? You know, right, right. We're, we're all the same and you're going to get off stage and we're going to have a drink and. You know, this is all a laugh and, uh, you know, and so they would do this thing of like, you know, po coming up to the cage and poking the lion with a stick, you know. Right, right. And, uh, and given my initial oath of service, which was to never be abused this way again, because I think what the artist does, which is what I figured out that I was, I'm not, there's no such thing as a rock and roller in my mind, you know, uh, that I was an artist, that you can't brook with, you know, um, um, enemies of art you can't have you, you you can't let them win you know right right um, and so when we played that tour of england you had a lot of guys, i mean people throwing ice at me the you know lit cigarettes because they thought it would be funny and there are variations on the theme we played a show in oakland and the, the promoter uh, at some point i feel is tugging on my back you know i turn around and i look and it's a homeless guy and and you know at first i'm angry you know, like, I, and then I realized, hold on, this homeless guy didn't just stroll into this club. This homeless guy was set here by somebody out who runs the club. And I looked through the audience and I see this guy sitting there. He had been working in the front door with this big grin on his face. Oh, and I look at this guy and uh, this enemy of art. And I look at him and we're, I'm in the middle of a song playing the song and I'm looking at him and I'm hoping to transmit with my look that Nothing will happen to this man in front of me. Everything that you would hope would happen to him is going to happen to you in about 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, so we finished the song and I put the mic down to go get the guy and he fled the club. <laughs> he had somebody else get the homeless guy out of there and he fled the club. Like, I don't think it's comical that the guy has to live in the street and will yeah, probably yeah. You know, like to die in the street. I don't think homelessness is comical. And I don't think what we do musically is comical. And I don't think art is comical unless it's comedic art. You right, know? right, right. And I don't want some, some, you know, a uh, 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 guy with talent not enough to carry my jock to be, <laughs> you know, to be interfering with the show. So right, large, right. largely, I have to like, you know, like ACDC said, I didn't kill anybody who, who wasn't carrying a gun, you know, to paraphrase them. I mean, everybody who we put hands on had it coming. And I, all and had I, it coming. I have this I have feeling. This feeling and I haven't really seen this covered in some of the other uh, uh, interviews that I've, I've seen with you that you would be fine. I think you'd be happier if no one ever like bum rushed the stage again and, and you didn't have to tangle with anybody, Yeah. but you're fully willing to do it, you know, cause that's, that's your, you know, that's the deal you want to, you're serious about this. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, uh, I mean, and that's largely a thing. If you want some band that you don't take seriously, then there are lots of those guys that, you, any ska band, you know, you throw stuff at them, jump on stage, and they'll be whatever. Yeah. Not, I mean, we don't play enough to to fall into a routine rhythm where this is just another day at the office for us. So, right. consequently, it's special to us. And if it's not special to you, there are lots of other places you can go. You right. Know? In, instead of four feet away, when it, where I can get to you. Yeah. You know? Well, now, do you think this is kind of an artifact of, I mean, you and I were both kind of parts of the, uh, the well, you were really part of the punk scene out on the East Coast, and I was more of a, you know, a person out in the crowd. 
And I always kind of thought, my sense of, of punk uh, in the 80s, hardcore, whatever you want to call it, is that it was kind of a combination, um, uh, you know, musical performance, uh, performance art, and like social experiment. Yep. And, and you know, and my sense is is like sometimes social experiments go kind of wrong, like the Stanford prison experiment, you know. And uh, you know, there's other guys you, you've interviewed him actually, like Henry Rollins. I saw a quote by I think it was like Greg Ginn of Black Flag, right. and at, they began to notice like Rollins was just like the focus of all this um, aggression from the audience, and people would come up on the stage and, and mess with him, and. You know, but that, that seemed to be kind of part of the punk was so ground floor. Yeah. Um, and I'm not talking like Green Day punk. You know, I mean, it was like a lot of times it was friends of yours or, you know, and the stage was really close to the floor and everything. So there was kind of this weird audience participation, like people jumping up and, and singing oh. along with the singer and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, do you think that I don't know. Do you think that what do you feel about that? I mean, did, did you did you like that or was that was that something that kind of. You felt well, got in the way of your expressing yourself or what? I think Henry was on some, I think, I think for a long time, Henry felt guilty. You know, I think he felt guilty for, according to some people in D.C., he had plenty of reasons to feel guilty that he left the guys in SOA in the lurch, you know, like Lionel Richie and the Commodores. You right. Know? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the, the he said, he said type thing. I don't, I, I don't know too much about that, but. I do think that he got guilty. And he said at one point, he goes, he said to me, you know, it's tough to have all your friends look at you like you won a lottery, you know. And uh, and so consequently, the privation that he endured with Black Flag, you know, of course, some of which was overstated for literary purposes, I'm sure. But uh, I think he invited that kind of abuse. I mean, I, I remember when he started, you know, when. I remember it was like the first time I saw him do it. Yeah, I don't know if it was the first time he did it, but it was the first time I had seen him do it was at the Freezer Theater in Detroit. You know, it was a show that uh, old time hardcore people refer to as the show where Henry had a nervous breakdown, where he just ended up on stage and the people were spitting and they throw throwing, get up, get up, you know, cursing at him and stuff. And I think, you know, for better or worse, I don't know if that was part of you know, I don't know where that stood in the timeline of Henry, but that seemed to me to be he was inviting that. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's never, you know, uh, my my masochism tends toward, I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, fighting with professional fighters <laughs> are, are really, you know, enduring really difficult workouts, which for me, it's the, the purpose of it is not to, to hurt, but to test myself, you right, know, right. So, uh, lying at the foot of the stage while people punch you and spit at you and burn you with cigarettes. You know, I mean, I guess that maybe is a, he could make the same claim as a test himself, but I don't know what he what, you know, he's proven he can be spit on. Right. You know, right. I don't know of a single person on the face of the earth who can't be spit on, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I know plenty who could not last five minutes with Jake Shield. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, he, the, the guilt that he felt for, for turning into a celebrity. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a big kind of human potential guy. You know, you, you know, he 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 can walk around his house and everything there that he has, he can point to and say, music bought this for me. Right, right. <laughs> music bought this computer, these socks, this underwear, this car. Oh, the, the granola in my refrigerator. You know, I mean, I, I think he's got one of the noblest professions ever, which is, you know, artist. You right, know? right. Now, whether he's a good artist or not is another discussion entirely. <laughs> but, you know, he's not a plumber. Yeah. So well, he must be an artist, you know. And, and so. If you measure it in intensity, I think I've seen him like three times, once with Black Flag and then two with the Rollins Band. And as far as intensity goes, damn, yeah, I mean, he's got it, you know. But, um, yeah, he's so, sort of, I mean, his new shtick, you know, I mean, I, this is not the form for it, but I, I find it less interesting. But, you know, I also know what Lou, Lou Reed said is more true than not, which is like, I got to make the rent. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to shake anybody's hustle. I yeah. mean, whatever, you know. So before we jump right into the fight thing, <laughs> I, I kind of warned you, I was going to ask about this. Uh, two things in the book that just, just crack me up and I have to ask more about is you were in Leonard part six. Yeah. 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 Which was the bill. If I'm just going to say this for people who don't know, it was a Bill Cosby movie, pretty universally thought of as one of the, uh, uh, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> Yeah, worst, it was one. It's on the Rotten Tomatoes list of worst movies of all time. It was 
clearly the worst movie of 1987, and it almost single-handedly destroyed many careers, including the director, uh, the, the the career of its director, the British guy, Paul, whose name I can't remember at the time, uh, who was relegated to directing TV commercials for years. Uh, I think finally, after like uh, you know 20 years, he's now got his first little feature, some little art thing back. But yeah, it, it uh, and it had big people, Alan Marshall, who produced Fame, and you know, a Pink Floyd's a Wall, and big names attached to it, but. You know, when I got the script for it, I filmed on it for three weeks. I had three lines. Two of my lines hit the cutting room floor. So I had one line. And the line that I spoke was a single word, operational. <laughs> and, and for that, I got $2,000 a week. And then I've made about $110,000 on the movie in residuals. Wow. It, it, Penn, Penn and Teller would have routine showings in, in Las Vegas. They were, well, you know, when they live in Vegas, but they... Uh, they were uh, they were obsessed with the movie, so it, it wasn't just a mediocre movie. It was an incredibly bad movie, and uh, you know it was. I mean, I, and I'm thankful for that. Had it been just a mediocre one, I don't think I would have made 110 thousand dollars on it. Right. And I mean, I went to see it on Christmas when it opened, and I was the only one in the theater. You know? That's hilarious. It was it was intense. So, so oh, you know, I, I kind of missed at the beginning. Um, you know. I got to say, you're kind of a postmodern renaissance man, because you, you also, you wrote for GQ. Yes. And Hustler and Vice and a, and a variety of other magazines. Um, I think the only thing you need to do is become a, like an architect, and then you'll be completely like well-rounded. Uh, I think Brad Pitt has edged me there. You know? <laughs> but uh, uh, so you went, and this is another like non-fight-related thing, but you mentioned you went to Larry Flint's house, Larry Flint, the publisher of Hustler. Um because you were kind of you were talking about his security, like the type of guys he had as a security. Yeah, but, I, I wasn't at his house. It was at is at the the hustler building. On oh, Hill. okay. What what is that like? What is what is uh, what is he like to meet and work with in person? Uh, Larry is phenomenal. Um, he uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there, there are two Larrys. There's a Larry before the surgery, and then Larry after the surgery. Apparently. The, they, when they took the bullet out that left him paralyzed, they had the surgery. He was screwed up. So he was in intense pain for a long time. And it was really uncomfortable talking to him because he, he, the pain just made it difficult for him to speak and he can't control his bodily fight. Like he's slobbers, he's slurring. And you, it's like almost like somebody talking in tongues where you had to have an interpreter. Right, right. And he got this nurse who subsequently he married and she, uh, they had the second surgery done, which eliminated a lot of the pain, and uh, he could talk. But I, I tell you, when, when Larry's health is, I mean, his, the quality of his health would ebb and flow when, like, we would hear in the office uh, that, 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 that Larry has not come in, he's feeling a little sick today, a chill would go up our spines because his family, they're idiots, you know, right. they're, they're, you know, Jimmy Flint. Well, Jimmy Flint's all right. Jimmy Flint's all right. But there's some of the, some of the, uh, I guess his, there would be grand nephews, uh, nephews or grand nephews of, of Larry's. They were just terrible, bad ideas. And fortunately, Larry is as merciless with his own family as he is with the company. A lot of these people he gave the boot to, you know, you're just, you're not, I don't know why you're here, but um, he's a, he's a really bright guy. And, uh, a really astute publisher and a business guy and a really mean guy. <laughs> and a really, I mean, still, still a really formidable guy. I mean, I didn't talk to him all but two or three times. But uh, you know, for example, he published this. Uh, uh, he publishes lots of non-porn titles, and he publishes magazine I did for a couple of years called Code Magazine, which was uh, you know GQ for uh, for you know non-white men. You know, so. Um, and it was great. I mean, it had me hanging out with Halle Berry and, uh, you oh, know, you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Had throwing back drinks with Chris Rock or whatever, you know. And the, I could tell he was going to kill the magazine. This, uh, I met him at the Christmas party. Uh, and this last time, you know, they had the big Hustler Christmas parties. And I was there and he was like, uh, and so I was talking to somebody else and he rolled up in the wheelchair I said, oh, Larry, and they didn't know that he had known me or did. He said, oh, you remember Eugene? And he gets this look on his face, and I knew, I knew that my time was, my time was nigh. Oh. And it, I was in December, and I think they gave us four or five months to, to make a go at that point. 
And uh, by that May, uh, you know, I got the word that the magazine was being sold because he wanted to open up these casinos. So interesting guy. I mean, I, I, I was involved in Hustlers Busty Beauties, uh, Hustlers Barely Legal, and then uh, Hustlers Erotic Video Guide, as well as his non-porn title, the code title. And uh, I always did the action adventure thing. I never did anything with the sex. So right, right. <laughs> I, I make no claims for, you know, but they, they had great Christmas parties. That's all. You know. That can, that can be your retirement. Yeah. 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 yeah right. 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 Well, they, they wanted me to be editor in chief of hustlers erotic video guy. And the guy who was, who was leaving the job, I go, why are you leaving? And he looked at me like, are you kidding? Look at this. And all he had was like an office with no window big tv and uru i mean more pornography than i've ever seen in my entire life you know and then i thought yeah this could be kind of grim yeah you know, after about the first four the first six hours you know uh <laughs> might, might get kind of sleepy yeah <laughs> so um you know another part let's get back to the uh, to the book um you tell the story of kind of your first it probably wasn't your first fight, uh, but the fight with the the Italian guys in Brooklyn. I think you were coming out of a movie, right? You were coming out of a Clash documentary. Yeah, that uh, rude. I was coming out of Rude Boy. Yeah, that, and, that my last fight before I left New York for good. Yeah. Um, but you you kind of you kind of single that out for being the moment where you're like, all right, if if I'm going to get into these scrapes, I got to kind of know what I'm doing or or get better at it, right? Is is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was that was a moment actually precisely that that moment because uh, one I don't think I had been as close to, to actual death uh, you know as I was at that moment and two it was completely avoidable and and three I understood that like my perception of my abilities was grossly out of uh, out of kilter with my actual abilities you know like I mean I had already taken jujitsu I'd already taken jujitsu at that point. I had been boxing at the boys' club, uh, you know. I, I wrestled in high school. I mean, I, I had sort of the bases covered, but uh, um, you know, at that point, facing three guys, two of them with you know broken bottles, one with uh, a wrench and a, and a German Shepherd, I, I realized that uh, you know, if I were to face those odds today, that I, I would be sort of almost outmatched. Except now, you know, I've got strategies. I, I, course over the course of time develop strategies for fighting multiple attackers and stuff like that and can do so you know pretty effectively and i'm stronger and faster and better trained but yeah you just can't think that you're going to be you know you got to earn bad bad attitude you know? <laughs> so i i got a, the sense that you were pretty young at that time but uh, you didn't mention what your age was so how, how old were you when when that happened i was uh i was 18 18 I, just turn, today is my birthday, actually. So I was 18. I just turned 18. So it was about a, it was about a week. It was about a week after I turned 18. So whatever week, seven days from now is. Wow! A happy birthday and congratulations for staying alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so now, prior to that, you know, leading up to this, I've been talking to a lot of friends and uh, about like their experience with fighting and and. Uh, and you know, most almost everybody has a story from when they were like a little kid, and they got the snot kicked out of them. Well, no, that's my story. Yeah. Uh, I I got beat. I think I was about like I don't I don't want to bore everybody with this, but um, I think I was about like seven years old. Uh, at that time, my family lived in uh, part of uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. That was kind of it was kind of changing. It was uh, it was very blue collar, and it was beginning to be uh, integrated a little bit, and. Um, uh, I remember I just got into, I don't even remember what caused it. And I, I hate to say it, but being completely honest, I think I, 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 I kind of started the fight with this kid. Okay. And, um, well, I, I found that all the fights I've started, I've lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this would be in that category. Okay. Um, but his, and this is even more, this is even more embarrassing. His, uh, his 12 year old sister, I think she was about 12 or whatever. She held me down while he popped me in the face and, and, um, he just, I, I remember it to this day because he just hit me over and over and over again. I started counting the hits to my nose yep. and it was like, I think I was up to like 15 before, you know, I'm, I was a kid. I just started, you know, crying and you know, yep. that, was, that was it. I just gave up. But, uh, you know, beyond that, beyond some like basically 
shoving matches and stuff. I, it, me and, and a lot of my friends, uh, we just really haven't gotten into a lot of fights. And uh, I don't know, do, do you think you're different in that way? I mean, do you think you're just kind of... the uh, it was kind of your destiny a little bit to get into some of these. Oh, I mean, part of it is being a loud mouth, but the, you know, um, which I, I sort of was to a certain degree, but I think, you know, I, I mean, New York city of the seventies, <laughs> I mean, was a, a, a cha crazy and chaotic place. And now that it's nice again, mm -hmm. somehow, you know, people, you know, people who are new arrivals to the the city you talk to them about this stuff they think you're crazy you know if you want to see i mean in fact if you show the movie taxi driver or or, or, or you know death wish or the warriors to somebody now they're like man that's crazy you know i mean yeah. they, they think it's just movies but it was a weird time with all the vietnam vets getting back from vietnam hooked on heroin people were, it was a crazy uncontrolled time and so it was uh and it continued. I mean, you know, the heart, that's, that's why, you know, there was a distinctly different tone and, and timbre to New York uh, hardcore than it was in, you know, D.C. hardcore or Boston hardcore. I mean, Boston was still really working class, working class Irish and Italian kids, mostly driven by those guys. But they, you know, I mean, Boston was pretty nice compared to, to New York. You had neighborhoods in Boston where you knew, you know, to stay out of maybe you had trouble. But New York was crazy all over the place, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, a friend of mine was Russian, moved to Coney Island. You know, he went over to Sheepshead Bay for something. He got beaten by Italian guys, you know? And, he, and then he laid in wait for them to cross over into the, the Coney Island, the Russian neighborhood, and he broke their arms. And, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, it was a crazy time all the time everywhere. So, and, and, and even disallowing that, you know, there was that whole you know, the end of the disco era and the kind of the 60s playing out, the kind of coke-fueled, you know, um, you know, this is pre-AIDS. So it, it was just, it was a cra crazy time. And, you know, we were all essentially kids at that point. So, um, I mean, during hardcore times, definitely, kid, you know, teenagers, you know, and, and time before that, uh, you know, these these are weird times. I mean, this is, you know, why did Mike Tyson join the Jolly Stompers? You know? Right, right, right. Mike Tyson got tired of getting beaten up. That that should say it all, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, um, so it was, you know, people. I mean, New York is a sa surprisingly a safe place now. So part of it was the the environment. But then part of it was I hated bullies. I really hated 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 bullies, and was constantly continually standing up for smaller kids who were being bullied. You know, I mean, I remember being nine years old in Jamaica Queens, and some big guys pushing around a butt. It has this whole group of kids terrorized. I'm like. Ah, you know, I don't find this very impressive. I'm standing there thinking, he was like, what are you looking at? And I just kind of smile. I was a, a very smiley, good-natured kid. He goes, well, you want to fight? And I go, okay. <laughs> you know, I wasn't angry with him. You had no reason to be angry with me, but you, you, you've now offered, you know, and so we went at it, and, uh, and I remember beating him. And uh, I got him in a headlock. And he's like, okay, okay, let me go. And I go, let you go? And he's like, yeah, I let him go. And uh, a girl who I liked at the time, Lori, her brother ran all the way home and told her what I had done. And so by the time I made it, walked back to my aunt's house, like people were coming out of their houses, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, there were, people weren't high-fiving then, but it was like it was almost the same thing, slapping me on the back. All the, all the little kids, I was like this hero. And I go, well, these are two good things. One, I stopped, you know, I stopped a bully who, you know, I, I hated the, stank, the stench of fear that was coming off the crowd, you know, this is just one guy. And, uh, and then of course there was a great social benefit to be had from following, <laughs> following some measure of your conviction. You know? Right. Right. Um, you know, that was you know, something that was else something I was going to talk to you about in, in the book that, um, you, you know, you talked to a lot of these guys like, uh, Tank Abbott, right. Am I getting the name right? Yeah. Who was, uh, uh, kind of a, it was, he was a bar brawler really. And then he, when UFC got started, he, he did really well. Uh, for lack of a better phrase, yeah. Um, and, and and beyond him, like a lot of the guys that you talk to, and I, and I believe it too. They say, "Look, I'm not a bully." Like you said, the ACDC line: "I never killed a man that you know." Right. What does how does it go again? I never killed somebody who didn't carry a gun. gun right. And and that kind of matches my experience. I mean, you know, I, I you know I've been you know I used to go see punk bands all the time, and you know I've obviously done my share of going out to clubs and everything like that. And, um, I, I've never had, 
I, I don't think I've ever had a guy who impressed me as like a brawler just start something with me just you know go after me i have had drunk guys that do that you know do that i don't like you sort of you know sort of maneuver but um but never somebody who looks like they really are like they really are a badass and it's just kind of refreshing to hear that they like they when they bar brawled they kind of tended to pick the guys that needed to be taken down a notch you know Right. Well, I mean, that's what I, I liked about Abbott, because he actually started out as like a punk rock kid. You know, he was at all those shows in L.A., a hardcore kid, all those shows in L.A. with, uh, you know, um, with, uh, you know, those big shows at the Olympic. And he was a small, smaller guy then and, you know, definitely suffered on, on, on that side of it and said, you know, screw that. His brothers were in football and wrestling, got into it. And, you know, so that that sort of the spirit, the hardcore spirit is what he brought to it, which is why I liked it. But even when I was hanging out with him, I kind of talk about this is he's drinking and getting hostile. He was he was definitely like on the side of, of, of right as far as I'm concerned. You know, some guy comes, some douchebag comes in, some obvious like bodybuilding. I used to bodybuild, too. You know, so this is this is my community as well. But, you know, these guys, some of these emotional cripples with, the, the, the you know, the, the tank top and the tan and this thing. And, and, and Tank fixated on this guy and go, look at that guy. And the guy's being kind of not rough with his girlfriend, but kind of dismiss. I mean, he's clearly a douchebag, you know. Yeah. And, and Tank says, let, let's go sit next to that guy. And if I was a real journalist at that point, I would have gone, yeah, okay, let, let, let's, you know. But, you know, this is, as a journalist go, I mean, there's a, there's a give and take. And I think what he was saying is, you know, uh, um, is this what you need to make the story good? And I found that less interesting than what was going to happen later on that evening, which is that he was going to go speak to all of these Marines. They had, they had invited him, Marines returning from the Middle East, they were inviting him to do this thing, you know? And uh, so it's like, you know, beat up the douchebag, who you know is going to end the evening beating up or beating somebody up to do, or go to the thing. So, I, you know, he, he kind of dangled the carrot, like, oh, look at that guy. We should go sit next to him. And I, I didn't really bite, you know? Right, right. I, that's not where I wanted my story or my book to go. Even though it would have been amusing to see this douchebag, but you know, look, you know, you know, there's bad weather out there. You know, there are mosquitoes, there are flies, there are irksome things alive. You know, the guy's a douchebag. So, you know, um, but uh, but yeah, I, 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 I mean, Tang Abbott was not starting a fight with somebody. Oh, you know, it's not starting a. I mean, again, a lot of these guys could say uh, there's one fighter who I've heard of was just, was a bully. And he blames it on when he, and he's a famous guy who, when he was coked out, you know, he had problems with, with cocaine and he would go in, but he would always, even then he would go into the bar and he's a small, he's a lightweight fighter. And he would go up to the biggest guy in the bar and say, Oh man, you, I'm sorry. You're standing in my spot. <laughs> and the guy, you know, if the guy was, he had any sense, you know, he'd go, oh, okay, this guy's a nut. He would so he'd move. He goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's actually my spot too. <laughs> It's both of those are my spots. So, um, so, you know, but most of these guys are not bullies. Most of these guys are guys who, you know, like I, the dedication on my book, I dedicate it to all my enemies, you know, who without them, I'm nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I always, I always kept a big too, with those guys, like someone like me, I, yeah. why would they, I mean, there's not really any challenge there. I mean, I don't mean to, I don't want to be self, you know, deprecating, but, uh, I, I wouldn't see why any of those guys would want to, you know, I used to wear glasses and every, I mean, I was the standard, like, would you hit a guy with glasses, you know? Right, so right. I, I, yeah, I mean, well, for you, me, you know, it all depends on, on what is said. I mean, people will come to these shows and then they will be like, uh, you know, um, they'll come to these shows and be like, kind of watching, like, like, like you'd watch a time bomb, you know, like, what's you going to, When's he going to go? When's he going to flip out? You know, and I'm like, uh, you guys do realize that there's a causal connection between, you know, my interaction with you and me flipping out, don't you? You know, <laughs> it's like you can try 10,000 keys and 10,000 locks. Maybe you get the right one, you know, and generally I, I kind of subscribe to the whole Frank Sinatra thing. It, it behooves one to keep the party polite. Right. You know? Um, you know, so, so do you ever get people coming up to you like disappointed after you do a show where there isn't any kind of you know jerk in the audience that's decided to try to take you on? I mean, do you have people come up and go, "Oh man, I thought you were gonna," you know? Um, yeah, you've got people. There, you know, I had some some really impassioned writer in uh, 
played in Rotterdam, and the guy uh, had written some review later. He was obsessed with the fact that he had not seen my penis. <laughs> I read all these reviews about him showing his penis, and then I was frustrated. I moved my position. The crowd, I couldn't get. And the whole review was essentially about how he was stymied in his efforts to see my penis. And this is, you know, you, this is, you can't, this is not serious music journalism or journalism at all. You know, this guy's obviously in pursuit of some other strange agenda. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, you have, like, when we played last year with Harvey Milk, I think they were a tad disappointed that we were, um, you know, not wild and crazy guys. You know, actually, you know, uh, um, you know, we finished playing. I mean, I, I find it's, it's, a, it's an inverse proportion. Like, some friend of mine got backstage to see the Tinder sticks. And she and her boyfriend were like, oh, these guys play really sensitive music. And they get in, they got invited to a party in their room. They figured it would be like people sitting around in berets drinking tea, you know, and talking about philosophy. And the Tinder sticks are really mellow music, but they get in a hotel room and the guy's like, oh, he's got porno on the big screen TV, the, the drugs, the drink. And, you know, and I think the exact opposite experience when you deal with Oxbow, you know, we all of the energy is on the stage, and if you catch us doing anything after the show, maybe it's having a glass of wine. Right. Quietly alone, you know. Well, you know, reading some of these other uh, some of these other interviews with you, one of the things that cracked me up is like the the inter- the writer would start. And I don't want, I don't want to diss on anybody, you know, who did an interview with you, but uh, but I will. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they started off going, you know, like describing you a little bit, and then talking about like how kind of scared they were. About yeah. meeting, like you're gonna haul off and like punch him, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, wait a minute, you know, I, I met you under different circumstances, but it's like, uh, in fact, in in a in the in the world of fighting, and I'm just like, I didn't get the sense he was just you know just if I accidentally got in his way that he was gonna you know take my lights out, you know. Oh no, but you know, I mean these these things have these things have ways of finding themselves, you know. I mean like. Uh, you know, there was that for that first tour, and it was good that we had a documentary filmmaker along with us on that first tour. For that first tour, a lot of people felt compelled to try their luck. Right. You know, try their luck. And uh, I mean, now people are like, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to end up on a highlight reel, you know. <laughs> And, and the reality of it is, I don't want to, you know, it's not, that's not why I put thousands of pounds of equipment on an airplane in a van, you know, drove 6,000 miles away from my home, spent, you know, a lot of money and time and effort. That's not why I showed up to do that. Right. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a professional fighter. Yeah. You know? I'm a professional musician. So. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the, um, the, uh, professional fighting a little bit. So I, I guess I'll, I, I'll just try to quickly tell the story of, um, how I ran into you, um. My friend, I was uh, visiting my friend Jen Hale, who's a great photographer, and she had photographed your band. Right hey, hey, now, are you guys having sex together? Or <laughs> oh well, no. <laughs> I, I put the guy in the spot. I forgot. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. Oh, she, never she's mind. Gonna, she's gonna be no. No, we've been we've been friends for like a yeah, really long time. So. Um, so that's code for you used to have sex. No, 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 no. <laughs> ah, that's, I'm glad to make you uncomfortable. Hey, thanks, thanks a lot. <laughs> and, anyway, yes. She's, she's gonna. I'm gonna hear about this, you know. So, so hopefully she'll talk to you about this too. Um, <laughs> she, she's welcome to. I'd be glad to talk to her. About <laughs> personal, like. <laughs> oh anyway. man, I knew you were gonna do this. I had a feeling you were gonna do this. <laughs> okay. Um, I waited. I waited, you know. <laughs> but uh, so she, um, uh, you, she photographed your band like several months ago, right? She, yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago. Actually. Oh, was it that long? Ago? Okay. And then uh, you write what? What magazine is it that you write the articles for? Where you you actually take on some of the mixed martial arts guys? Well, I used to do it for Grappling Magazine, which then it changed to Ultimate Grappling, and I don't like them anymore. So now I'm doing it for Real Fighter Magazine. Real Fighter. Okay, that's it. And technically, my job title is I'm deputy editor at Gladiator Magazine, so um, that's you know that's what my business cards say. So. Oh, okay. And and basically, the process is you there's these guys. Uh, is, is it just uh, uh, mixed martial arts guys, or do you take on boxers or? Uh, well, you see in the fight book, I tried to take on a Vander Holyfield. Yeah, that's pretty and, ballsy. And, and and then I was really glad he didn't accept my challenge. And, <laughs> No, not box. I mean, I'm not into you know. I'm not. I'm not writing for a boxing magazine. So, right. 
when it was grappling, I just did grappling. When it was now a real fighter, I've been doing MMA. Jake Jake got out of the MMA thing because he's got a photo shoot coming up and didn't want to do any stand up. And now I realize that he get you know he gassed me. I mean, it's not like it was going to make a difference anyway. You know, I was going to hit him once and he was going to choke me out. So, uh, and I realize that too. And I, the photos look better, look better if you don't have are all padded up. Right. If, you, if you want to do strikes, we got to get padded up. And I don't, you know, I'm I'm as a journalist, you know, forever thinking about how it's going to look when it's in print finally. So. So Jake Shields, for the for the people who don't know, uh, what what's his record? He's a UF uh, mixed martial arts guy. He's in UFC, right? He's not lost a fight since two thousand and four. If that fills you in. Wow, and uh, last twelve fights. Wow. <laughs> so uh, uh, and, and just a, so basically, Jen um, was going to photograph the you guys fighting, like you said, and it was there wasn't going to be any striking. It was going to be strictly jujitsu, right? Is what you and. Um, well, and, yeah, it was going to be MMA without the striking. So. MMA without the striking. And, you know, she she said, hey, I got this friend visiting. That would be me. Um, do you mind if he comes along? And it was, it was no problem. And and um, uh, so you can correct any details of the story that that are wrong. Yeah. So I show up. Uh, you like this. I don't think you were even aware of this. So when, when she when uh, Jen showed up, you know, there was the the uh, very attractive uh, uh, reception. Woman. Yeah, she she is the owner. The other there's a Jake co-owns that place with this guy Jason Manley. That was Jason Manley's wife. Okay, and a real nice lady and everything. And fine, uh, fine ass looking woman. Yeah, and uh, Jen, you know, had her purse and she was like, "Hey, do you mind if I leave my purse behind the counter?" And she's like, "No, that's no problem. I'll watch it." And and um, then you guys started warming up and and I should say there were other fighters there and other guys training. This is at uh, Jake Shields Dojo. Yeah. And uh, I'm just trying to stay out of the way. I'm just staying out of the way. And then she gets to the point where, or you guys get to the point where you're actually fighting, and she's taking a bunch of pictures and everything. And you probably weren't aware of this, but um, what, what's the woman's name again? The, the woman who was at the desk? I don't remember her name. You know, she, she came over with, she's like, I got to go, but I still have your friend's purse. And then um, I was like, oh, that's okay. I'll watch it. And then I kind of realized, like, I'm holding a purse. <laughs> yeah, right, right. at a place where there's these dudes fighting i mean like how, how bad is that right, 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 right. <laughs> so so you guys you guys finished up and then um uh, and, you know and i was actually it, i'm sitting there i was i was literally kind of feeling guilty because i wasn't doing anything and there's these guys like working out really hard you know you're fighting jake and then uh when it was over she took a few more pictures of you guys and then you came back over, and I kind of half-jokingly, like, you know, that was going to be my out. Is yep. like I kind of half-jokingly said, you know, because you, you mentioned you tend, you know, because these guys are, you know, really, really good, they yeah. tend to lose. So I kind of half-jokingly said, hey, Eugene, if you're sick of losing, you can fight me. Yeah. And then you, <laughs> you go, you serious? You want to? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm just like. Yeah, well, you, don't, you didn't realize the whole trappings of, I mean, had you been tuned to the rhythms of the place, you would have heard the needles scratch across the record. You know, as everybody stopped and turned around, it was like, oh, oh, you just challenged. <laughs> uh, so it was a bit, I mean, that's why everybody stopped. Oh, my God. And I'm sure you didn't hear this, but Jake sat down behind me to my left. He sat down to watch, and he said to me, you better not lose. Oh, my God. <laughs> suddenly, it dumped on me, like, exactly the situation that he's in. Now, you know, Jake and I have been friends for a long time, but Jake doesn't know what I know or how I know it, and he does, does not want to be the guy, like a musical chairs thing, you know, where the music stops without, you know, he doesn't want to be the guy who gets beaten by the journalist, and then I got to write about it. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like I realized at that point that, there's no way that you could have marched in there and, and, beat, and beat me and have me still be a member of this fight community in the Bay Area, you know? There's no, I mean, the, you, in other words, you know, you might have done better than you did, but there were only two ways for me to get off that mat, and that was either knocked out or choked out, and I, I could not, there's no other way I could do this, so... Oh so my God! I, it was very, very, you know, uh, very, very, very interesting to kind of suddenly realize that I was, you know, 
to realize to look at it from their point of view right as, you know because i'm usually as a journalist i'm so much in my head i'm thinking okay i'm gonna come i'm gonna fight these guys so look at it from their point of view it's, it's not a joke this is how i make my living you right. know right. it's uh well, you know, i wanted to be that's why i shut my mouth during the whole thing i just wanted to be respectful too you know and uh and i figured like after i did that and, and you took me up on it i i, I it was like I have to, it's, and it's a weird thing. It's like, I have to do it now. You know Yo, what I mean? Oh yeah. That was, I, I mean, that, that whole thing, I, you haven't seen the article, but that was a major, you know, a major portion of the article that I'd written for the magazine. Afterwards. Are you serious? Yeah. Because it, it, it gave me an opportunity for the first time to see what I was doing outside myself. In other words, you were being me to me, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, and also the compulsion, like, you know, I mean, sitting there, and you did, you, you used to wrestle, so, I mean, it's like, ah, I got, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta try, I gotta try for, so, you know, and then the guy's sitting behind me saying, look, you know, you, you can't, you don't, you're not hanging around with me if you lose this, you know, so, so it was, it was amazing and really funny from top to bottom. It was, oh, man. It's like, it's like the centerpiece of my article in actual fact. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I have to go get it now. I have to go get it. Well, I think it's the next month's issue. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, who would have known that I would be in a fight magazine? That That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, these are the, the happy accents because my concern with the piece is that it gets stale, you know, I mean, right. it's predetermined, you know, it's like the Wiley Coyote will never get the Roadrunner, you know, <laughs> but... The, the illusion that some, I mean, as a story, you have to deviate a little bit. And that was the deviate. I mean, you probably gained me another six months of articles just by virtue of the Oh, fact. that's awesome. That's so cool to hear. But I'll have to, I have to tell the rest and like I said, you know, correct if, if this is wrong. So, so w we started and, and I remember you saying, you're like, oh, you're serious. Okay. Like, in other words, you were, you were kind of, uh, you know, checking to see like if I was just going to, you know, make a joke out of it or something. And, and then we went at it and, um, and I think, you know, the way, uh, I think the way Jake Shields put it is he's never seen a more natural fighter and, and a bigger turnaround when I, when I beat you. Oh, wait, no, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. <laughs> 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 <had me> going. <laughs> no, 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 you kicked my ass. <laughs> well, you had the great comment afterwards, like, when is my neck going to stop hurting? <laughs> Well, you know, that's, you know, I, so, and I've had, I've had people who've, who've seen the pictures and everything and they kind of want to know how serious it was. And I was like, well, let me, let me tell you. And I mean, and, and no, definitely nothing, you know, no hard feelings because I, you know, literally asked for it, but like my, my throat for like that night, it, I, I, you know, when you have like, you have like a lump in your throat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't get rid of that. We went to, you know, Jen and I went to see a movie with some friends of hers, and I'm like, like I'm like swallowing and. Well, <laughs> uh, see, well, I mean, this is what when guys will come up to me after shows and give me a hard time for having beaten somebody up in the audience, who, and it hasn't happened a lot, you know. But, but and I and I was like, you don't realize that, you know, if we if we do this all the time, it's like a it's like a science thing. In other words, it was. You know, it was just enough to, to make you stop. You know, it was not not anything any any more than that. You know, so like you hurt my friend. Some guy came up to the show. You hurt my friend. I go. You're not thinking about how much I could have hurt your could have hurt the friend, right? I, I, I you know I, I I hurt him a little bit. I didn't hurt him a lot. You know? <laughs> and uh, I just have to tell you because this was just a hilarious. I this just struck me as really really funny. So I you know I assume you were pretty. If I I had any chance at all or if i did well at all it was strictly because you had just fought jake shields and probably were wiped out and right. let me say even given that i just want everybody to know I'll, I'll be completely honest i mean i i'm not sure how long it lasted but it didn't last for it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's a it's it's weird i mean it, it like i i have gotten better you know i mean but my memories of when i started doing this are, are still pretty you know pretty vivid in my mind but it, I, I don't, it's like, it's like, I'm sure you can't remember the time before which you didn't know how to ride a bike. Right. You know? uh, but I, it, it, there's a different kind of learning curve with this. So, you know, I remember, I remember how badly I suck each time I, I learned something new. And it dawns on me that perforce, I gotta be getting better. So that, and that's one of the reasons why I keep fighting these fighters to see how much absolutely I'm getting better. I mean, I've, I've competed as well. I mean, not since I had my quadricep, uh, ruptured quadricep tendon, I haven't competed, but 
I think 2006 was the last time I competed for a California submission fighting open. So, you know, it's good. There are a couple of submission things coming up that I'm thinking about going into. And I mean, uh, you know, this stuff is fun. You know, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's cool. It's fun to oh, do. I, I should before I forget about this. Cause this, this is one of the things that I thought was, was pretty funny is um, I think it, I think it was now that I think about it, I'm maybe I'm not sure it was Jake Shields, but there was one moment where, I might have been able to like get a hold. I don't think it would have helped me at all, but I might have been able to get a hold. And somebody, I, I'm pretty sure it was Jake. You're talking about the second time we went. The second time we went, yeah. And somebody behind behind me was like, was like Eugene, Eugene. He's he's doing this, do this and this and this to get out of it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, really? <laughs> well, they were they were worried because after I beat you the first time. Um, after I beat you the first time, I, I remember we started standing up and I think the, the third time I started on the ground, cause I, I wanted to give you, uh, it's like, I was spotting you points. Yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. Time I, and I think the second time I'd actually let you, you, you did, you shot in on me and we ended up on the ground and then I, I let you take my back and I was waiting for you to, to, you know, that's the point where they got nervous because <laughs> if you had known something at the point I was waiting, to, I gave you my back and was waiting to, and there's a picture of it that she has yeah, I was yeah. to see what you would do, whether you would go for the neck, whether you knew a little bit or not. And then you just, you kind of, cause you're, you know, a rest, American freestyle wrestling, you held on to, to my waist because that's what you would do in wrestling. And that's when the photograph that's on my website where I stand up and I break the hold, yeah, yeah. but they were worried when I gave the back cause they were like, yeah, you know, you need to tuck your head or you can't, you know, they thought I was, you know, they thought that I was just doing that. I was, you know, doing what I was doing without and, and without knowing what I was doing. In actual fact, I was kind of baiting you to see, yeah, see, yeah. come up with something there. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's when they were like, that, that, I beat you once. That was the second time. And the third time, I think we started, I just started sitting down or on my knees or something. And, uh, and, you know, it, it ended the same way. Uh, uh. But it's good to know because, you know, guys who fight, they, they, I mean, some, you would think what kind of guy, you know, I still get challenged with the bars and stuff like that on odd occasion. And it's like, <laughs> I, I know you think you can, but you can't, you know, right, and right. That's what goes when I'm seeing guys like Jake, he's got two arms, his two legs. Jake is an actual fact lighter than me, you know, uh, even though he, he lies about his weight. He, I think he was about 195 when we fought that day. And I'm about, I was about 208. And, uh, but, um, you know, you, you might think you can, but you, you just can't. And whatever you'd have to do to get so you could, you can't, yeah, you know, yeah. you don't have the time left in your life to yeah, get good yeah. enough to be, to be the Jake Shields, you yeah, know, yeah. nor do you have the time left in your life to be better than Tiger Woods. You don't, 